Let's turn our attention to the subject of the day, but on a series uh, of the Holy Spirit, because Holy Spirit is a person. Somebody say amen. That he's not the force, although he has a lot of power. Uh, he has all power because the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity of the Godhead, that he is 100% God, and he works with and in cooperation with the Father and the Son. He is referred to in the Scriptures as many different things, and one of them is that he is the Spirit of Jesus, that he shows up. Listen, the, the, the feeling that you feel when the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit are here, is here is his anointing. And I believe, and I see kind of things in my pictures of my mind, is uh, all the years that I've served the Lord, and especially I started out worship leader, is I could, in my mind's eye, my spiritual eye, if you will, uh, see, and I don't think it's my imagination, is that in every service where Christ is honored and he is lifted up, I see the Spirit of Jesus walking up and down all the aisles and reaching over and touching people that are worshiping him in spirit and in truth. I, I, you know, he is here. His presence is here. We're not in an empty building. Yes, the building is brick and mortar. It's a beautiful building. I think we'd all agree to that. God has blessed us incredibly with this beautiful building. But the beauty of his presence is what beautifies the building. It's the anointing that is here that really makes the difference. And Jesus talked about the living water. You know, one of the other things is Holy Spirit is often referred to as the living water, that he flows. And, uh, and where he flows, I was just thinking this morning while we were sitting there about um, another message on the Holy Spirit is to talk about the river of God that Ezekiel talks about and sees and the river of God that runs all the way uh, through to the book of Revelation, uh, where the river of God flows from beneath the throne of God. And it is his power and his presence that comes into our life. You see, floods in the natural, in the natural realm that we live in can create death and destruction wherever they overflow the banks. But when the river of God overflows the banks during times and seasons of revival, it brings life it, it rebuilds lives, it rebuilds marriages, it rebuilds relationships. The Holy Spirit and the river of God, when it overflows its bank, creates life and healing wherever he goes. Would you say amen to that? And so today we want to talk about the living water. And I was uh, thinking uh, a few days ago uh, about this and thinking uh, of an old hymn we used to sing. You know, I think about old hymns because I'm old. And uh, I like some of the old hymns and used to sing this a lot, fast hand-clapping song. I feasted in the barren land of sin and shame and nothing satisfying there I found. But when I came, to, and I can't remember all the words, I was written ready to write it out today when our visitors came to my door, but uh, is that uh, I'm, f I'm drinking at the springs of living water. Remember that song? I'm drinking at the springs of living water. Happy now am I, my soul they satisfy. Drinking at the springs of living water, a wonderful and bountiful supply. See, the river of God is flowing, and that living water is living and active to bringing life to whatever it touches. 
Jesus was attending a feast in John chapter 7. It was the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And literally, it was a part of the Old uh, Testament, the Old Covenant worship, uh, where it uh, was a joyful celebration of the Feast of Booths. And also known, if you might have heard it, as the Feast of Tabernacles or by its Hebrew name, Sakat, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. The celebration was, uh, was the last of the fall festivals and was held at the end of the agriculture year when the grapes and the olives were being harvested in Israel. And this is, was a time to thank God. These what these celebrations were about. is remembering and celebrating and thanking God for all the preceding year's provision and then to pray for a good rainy season which lasted in Israel from October through March so that the ground would be ripe and ready uh, to, um, to uh, bless in the, in the spring. We need to remember, folks, we've been kind of in a drought this year in this part of the country. We've been blessed with having rain at the latter part of the season here, which I'm very thankful for. The grass is green and growing again, and and uh, looks really nice out there. Thank Cliff Combs for cutting grass this year. He's been doing a wonderful job, and uh, really appreciate his efforts for that. And uh, But uh, rain brings life. Water brings life. And uh, when we think about this celebration of booths, Jesus is there. He's at this celebration. Can I just tell you that Jesus loved a good party? You know, some people think of him as stoic and religious and reserved and, and holy and everything. But Jesus, I believe, was a man who loved to laugh. I think he uh, liked to joke around. Uh, I think he enjoyed humor. I think he liked to have fun. I think his disciples not only learned from him, but they enjoyed fellowship with him. Jesus, 100% God, 100% man. That's mathematically impossible, but in God's equation, it is perfect math. Amen? And so at this feast, and Jesus is there, his enemies are there as well. They've been looking all over for him. He came in secretly, and finally he goes uh, in to teach. And on verse 37, it kind of caps it off here, where it says, on the last day which is the climax of the festival, Jesus stood up and shouted to the crowds. Now, he didn't get up in monotone. They didn't have a PA system, but he shouted so everybody could hear him. And I believe that he who has an ear hears what the Spirit of God is saying. And he spoke out, and I believe that many people who had hard hearts, that when he shouted out these words, that it fell almost like water on a rock that it just rolled right off. But there are other people whose hearts were peaked. They were cultivated, ready to receive the seed and the water of the word. And Jesus shouted to the crowds and he says this, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare that rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And you imagine the response as people were looking to Jesus, he was a well-known personality. He was a public figure at this point of his ministry. That people understood, some people understood who he was, other people thought he was a fraud. Other people just didn't know. Everybody has different opinions. And it's just like today in the 21st century. People have different opinions about Jesus. Many of their opinions are malformed, that they're uh, ill-informed, as I said, because... Why? Because many times they misunderstand what Christianity, biblical Christianity, is really all about. 
they really don't know who the Son of God really is. And many of them uh, base their interpretations of that based on who they think or who people have told them Christians are, and many of them are uh, depicting uh, hypocritical Christianity, living a double life and leaving a bad example for people in this world who don't know Christ. Other times, people do very good at their representation of Christ and are still rejected because people don't want to believe that there's a God, I believe, because they know that they will be held accountable to that God. Somebody say amen. So he declares this invitation. It's an invitation, notice that, to anyone. And verse 39 says that when he said, when he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who was to be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. So John explains exactly to those who are reading his epistle, or his uh, gospel, exactly what Jesus meant. And so, uh, as we said, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booth, as God commanded ancient Israel to celebrate the Feast of Booths by constructing... Uh, and living in temporary housing built out of tree branches, uh, boughs, and other naturally occurring materials. And, uh, I was told, I've ne- never been in, in the neighborhoods of New York, especially Jewish neighborhoods, but I was told by someone many, many years ago who used to live there and uh, others who visited is that it's not uncommon during this festival to be celebrated among Orthodox Jewish families, and they live in apartments and condos. But they build the booths out on their terraces or their balconies. You can see them built right out there, these rough uh, tabernacles. And during this festival, they will live out there instead of in their apartment. And so it's still celebrated by Orthodox uh, uh, Jewish believers. But the Feast of Tabernacles, as we said earlier, was a harvest festival of thanksgiving to rejoice over the abundant blessings that God had given and praying that God will continue his blessings in the future. Now, as we said that there's different reactions, Uh, people react differently, as as I said, we do today as well. And the reactions to Jesus uh, by the people at the feast, as John 7, 15, the people were surprised. They were surprised when they heard him. How does he know so much when he hasn't been trained? How does Jesus know so much that later in church history, we find out the Apostle Paul, or Saul at that time, sat at the feet of Gamaliel, a teacher of the Jewish law of Judaism, who is still renowned today by Orthodox Jews and Jewish scholars as the greatest teacher in all of Judaism in history. And the Apostle Paul, who became the Apostle Paul, sat at his feet and learned. He was a brilliantly trained, brilliantly trained theologian, Paul was. And uh, he established the foundational doctrines of the new covenant in Jesus, Paul did in his writings. And we thank God for well-trained people. Amen? Aren't you thankful that, that we have uh, uh, Christian universities and seminaries and Bible colleges that help train believers so that they can more accurately uh, proclaim and teach the Word of God? Isn't that wonderful? But you know, oftentimes there are people who are called of God, who don't have that training. Does that mean that they are less qualified by God? No, absolutely not. No, because who God calls, he qualifies, and he equips to do what he calls them to do. And so, uh, you know, I'm not shooting uh, uh, stray bullets at uh, 
higher education because that would be a really dumb thing to do because I respect that. But God hasn't called all that He's called into ministry uh, to go that, nor is it possible for them to go, but they are called by the, listen to this, by the Holy Spirit when God touches their heart and there is an unction there, there is a witness there, there is a prompting there, there is a witness there that God, I, th- I think you're calling me into ministry. I heard that call when I was 14 years old, not long after I got saved at a Kansas City Youth for Christ rally on a Saturday night rally. And I heard the call of God, and I don't even remember exactly how it came or anything else. All of a sudden, there was an awareness. It wasn't earth-shattering, but it was an awareness that I have called you to be a minister. And I didn't even know what that meant, except our United Methodist Church had a minister who dressed in big black robes, and I'm not knocking that. I mean, please don't think I'm making fun. And he was very stoic, and he was very, in fact, um, Uh, The first minister we had uh, when I was just a boy was a friend of mine from school. Uh, David was his name, really nice guy, and his family was very nice. And when they left, we got another minister. I think his name was Reverend Sparling. And he was very, and I, you know, the thing, I went to church, even though I was saved, I didn't understand a word hardly that he said, because it was so high. And, And you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes we can use highfalutin theological language that average people can't understand or struggle to, and children certainly can't, okay? Uh, I love Dr. George Westlake III, who was the pastor at Family Life Center, Sheffield Family Life Center in Kansas City, in the inner city with a multicultural congregation. By the time uh, we left Kansas City, they had just built their new $22 million facility, and we're $16 million in debt, and they were in the inner city. So the tithing wasn't all that great, I mean, because they didn't make that much there in that neighborhood. But this man was called there. And every Sunday for 25 years at that point, there was never a Sunday service, Sunday morning or Sunday night, when multiple people didn't come to the altar to get saved. It was a harvest field there. Why did that happen? Because the river of God from beneath the throne of God was flowing through that congregation and God was touching. The river of God flows through Calvary Church today too. I believe that and I feel that and sense that. And uh, so uh, just an incredible uh, testimony of that church. Dr. George Westlake III, even though he had uh, doctorates and masters and doctorates and everything else and he you know, had a CBC at that time, uh, uh, distance education, Bible college there that he taught and others taught that were, uh, had held their doctorates. And uh, he had staff of probably, I don't know, probably 15, 16 pastors on staff besides other staff. And so it was a very big church. But, you know, to listen to him preach, okay, he spoke on an eighth grade level so that everybody could understand and he took time to answer questions. And I think that's what pleases the Spirit of God. And you know what? When a church and uh, leadership please the, the Lord, I think God just opens up a little bit more of the river that flows. And I, I love that. You know, uh, many of the crowds in verse 731 says this, many in the crowds 
at the temple believed in him. You know the different reactions. Many believed him. And their, their reasoning and their logic was this. After all, they said, would you expect the Messiah to do more miraculous signs than this man has done? It's like he's done enough to prove himself to me. He has. Can I ask you a question? Has Jesus done enough signs and wonders in the saving and transforming of your life to cause you to continue to believe in him? Amen? Has he, has he radically changed your life, saved you, and lifted you from the pit that you were living in and has made a difference in your life so that you know that you know that you know that he's the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, the Christ, the living God. I, I uh, was talking to one of my daughters and one of her close friends when she was at uh, North Central University and her husband came to visit um, over the last uh, weekend or last week and uh, she told me the sad story. This young girl, you'd come home with my daughter sometimes, stay with us for their breaks and uh, she has, through a series of unfortunate circumstances in her and her husband's life has decided that she told her, my daughter, she says, well, I still believe in God, but not the Christian God necessarily. Went to the same Bible college, went to the same services, felt the same anointing, same Holy Spirit, and yet she's pulling away. And I asked my daughter, how does that make you feel? Well, she says, I'm very hurt and disappointed. I'm telling you today that I have come so far in my walk with God that there is no doubt whatsoever. When troubles come, when issues rise, when challenges take place in this ministry and in my personal life, I am, listen to me, standing on the solid rock. The rock. And there's things I don't understand, but in the midst of the storms, I'm not on the sinking sand. And I trust God has proven himself to me over and over and over. Has he proven himself to you or were you not paying attention? Amen? That he can be trusted and relied upon. Well, the leaders are offended. Of course, they were looking for him to try to pick a fight with him. The religious leaders, can I tell you, religious people cause most of the trouble in the church. Religious people. You know, religious people who are often like the Pharisees, very Pharisaic, and they're very legalistic-minded, and they're very judgmental. They become very critical of every little thing. That's, that is religion. But the Holy Spirit doesn't call us to religion. He calls us to the cross. He calls us to the blood-stained cross where we can kneel at that cross and find life. See, Christianity isn't a dead, dry religion. It is an encounter with the living God that will transform your life and change the course of your destination from eternity and hell and judgment into heaven with Jesus. Leaders were offended, so they ordered the temple guards, go arrest him, bring him back, and what happened? They came back empty-handed. You know what happened there? is while they were waiting to arrest him, they listened, they listened to him speak. And the living word flowed from his lips. It flowed from his lips. And it pierced not just their ears, but it pierced their hearts. 
And they were impressed and they were in awe. And they felt impotent. They were not able to even find the reason or the strength to arrest Jesus. And so he went back to the, uh, to the religious leaders and said, where's he at? And they said, well, you know, we've never heard anybody speak like this. Kind of a slap in their face because they were sometimes speaking and he wasn't, apparently the guards weren't too impressed with them. They had the long flowing robes and all the religious attire that was supposed to be very impressive, but Jesus had the word of God. That's impressive. That's powerful. That is life transforming. And so we've never heard anybody speak like this. And the leaders were angry and retorted back in a mocking tone. Have you, have you been led astray too? The Pharisees mocked. Is there a single one of us rulers and Pharisees who believes in him? What's wrong with you? I, I remember when I was a young Christian, uh, reclaimed actually at the age of 15 and a half, uh, actually, you know, at, sorry, at the age of 18, 17, 18 years old when I came back to the Lord after my teen years. And I remember going to every single one of my friends, especially after I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, all of my friends, my drinking buddies, you know, the party guys that we hung out together and went to parties in the pasture lands out in the country and big uh, beer bus and things like this. And, and we, we had a good time. Don't tell me sin isn't fun. It's just the day after that you have the hangover. Uh, but it's, uh, you make a fool of yourself, as I did so many times. Yet God in his mercy protected me and, uh, and, and allowed me to return to him. And when I spoke to them, you know, not many of them converted. All my best friend, one of my best friends, two of my friends at that time, came to Christ the same Sunday night that I was at church. They got invited too, and we all went down to the altar. And one of them was my best man. And, but all the other ones listened, and they just kind of looked uncomfortable, and they walked away. I don't remember even making a statement, but they walked away. And it's like I didn't understand that. I thought, don't they want what I got? You know, the living water was flowing through me. And, uh, and, and it was just powerful. And, and I wanted to tell everybody about Jesus. And that's what the Holy Spirit, listen, the Holy Spirit will do to us when we get filled with the Holy Spirit, when that living water flows through us, who is the temple of the Holy Spirit in the New Covenant. There's something, there is a reaction. Listen, there is a suddenly a want to. Suddenly there is a love that you have for people that in your natural abilities and power you can't love. I remember my mom when she got saved. She got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And my dad cursed her and beat her, physically assaulted her over and over again. And, and I asked her, I said, Mom, how can you love him? She says, I can't. But Jesus loves him through me. And I'm praying for his salvation. He's in bondage. And, you know, that's the kind of love that God, when the river flows through you, it touches everything and everything changes. And up here, it doesn't make any sense. But when the Spirit of God moves on the heart, incredible things happen. As the leaders mocked, that was their attitude. So Jesus gives an invitation. 
Aren't you glad that God invites us to participate in life? That he invites us and Jesus gives us invitation uh, on that last day of the feast at the climax says that anyone who is thirsty can come to me and my question is again to you to this congregation is, is are you thirsty for God are you thirsty for the things of God I, I you know sometimes when we get saved and even baptized in the Holy Spirit we have this euphoric feeling of, of just incredible love and awe of God and, and love to be in his presence. And then I have watched and observed how sometimes and the challenges come and the testing comes and sometimes people start to backslide and they move away. And you ask them, why aren't you still hot for God? Why don't you come to church? Well, I've just been going through a lot of trouble and I've been really busy. Let me tell you, when the Spirit of God is moving in your heart, nobody has to beg you or conjole you to come to church. You just want to be there. I can tell you many times over the years that there are times when I didn't feel like going to church. And my wife tells me to get up and go, you're the pastor. (laughs) But there are times you don't feel like going. It's like, I don't want to go. I've been hurt. I don't want to go. Or I'm just upset with God because this happened to my life. But I'll tell you, times in my life, even when I was serving God from a layperson standpoint, is that I knew in my spirit, it was a witness of the spirit I know, is that whether you feel like it or not, you get up and go. And you not only go for yourself, but you go for other people. You don't go, listen, I learned a long time ago, you don't go for what you get out of it. You get up and go because you're going to give out as well. And there's people there at that service that need you there so that you can encourage them instead of always feeling sorry for yourself. Now, I didn't say you did that. I said that's how I, you know, that's what I learned. And sometimes we can be so self-concerned that we don't allow the Spirit of God to flow through us uh, to other people. And, and there comes a time in your life where you don't feel like you're thirsty, then check your heart, find an altar, and repent and resurrender your life to the Lord. Rededicate your life to the Lord and ask for a refilling. Notice that the invitation that Jesus issued was for thirsty people. You know, some people are so full of other things that they don't have room for the living water. You know, it's like, I'm not thirsty. Well, why aren't you thirsty? Well, I'm just not thirsty. And maybe it's because you filled up on other things and now you're not thirsty for the living water that will bring life. Notice Jesus didn't give the invitation to just those who are religious or those who are always righteous or those who pray loud or those who sing and shout and dance about. You know, sometimes all that stuff are calisthenics and outward things instead of flowing from the heart. And I'm not knocking any of it because I'm a worshiper. But I'm just saying sometimes, and I know from myself, is that when you lift your hands, you're doing it because that's what you do. And I try to check that in myself and say, am I lifting my hands to the Lord for the right reasons? Am I doing it out of adoration, a heart of adoration and worship, or am I doing it just because I'm expected to? See, living water makes a difference. Drinking from the fountain of life makes a difference. 
those who are thirsty. He issued the interview, those who are thirsty. And so many times people out there are thirsty. I can tell you that when I was a, a route salesman um, and uh, uh, in Kansas City, and it's very, very hot and humid in Kansas City in the summertime, especially going through August, is just brutal. And on those step vans that we drove in and, and had to work inside and, you know, pull product and things like this, they were like ovens. I mean, they were metal ovens. And you'd just sit in there and just drench with sweat, just flow with sweat. And, and I wasn't even a fat guy then. I was pretty skinny. And so I was still hot and just rolling sweat off of me and soaking wet clothes and just sticking to you and everything all day long. And, and I'd get really thirsty because you're, you're sweating a lot. You're perspiring a lot. And so I'd go into some of those stores in the Kansas City ghetto and, and uh, you know, there wasn't like drinking fountains in any place. But I'd go in there and they didn't sell bottled water back then. It was unheard of to sell water, right? And uh, but I'd go in there and I'd see these um, generic brand sodas, you know, grape and orange, and I like orange soda, and it's in an ice cold bottle. And I was just, mm, I gotta get one of those. And I'd get that bottle, sometimes buy two of them, and I'd just down them, and they tasted so good, so good. But you know what happened after about an, less than an hour? I felt even thirstier because the, all that stuff did was wet my tongue and my throat and it didn't satisfy. And I'm just telling you, I know this from experience, that sometimes when you think that you are in your life of sin are filling yourself up with all kinds of things that don't bring life to your body. There's another time when I was in the east side of Kansas City, um, the northeast side, or the southeast side, I should say, south, north side, north south, whatever. Anyway, it's right up against the river on the south side of the river of Kansas City, Missouri. And uh, I was so hot, I came in just drenching wet into a bar uh, to sell the, one of the customers sell the salty snacks to. And the young bartender went right over and got a glass, and he filled up a tap full of beer and slammed it on the bar right next to me and said, here, you can have that. You look thirsty. And I looked at that beer, and even in my drinking days, I didn't care too much for beer. I liked hard liquor. And I looked at that beer, and I thought, oh, that looks so good. And I was so tempted that I said, no, I, could I just have a tall glass of ice water? Sure, and he looked just shocked, and he took the beer and poured it down the drain and pulled me up a glass of it. Can I have a refill? Sure. Can I have another refill? Sure. Can I, ha I had four glasses of water. And, you know, I walked out of there feeling refreshed and restored. And I'm just saying, living in sin, I drank a lot of stuff, proverbially. You know, I, I partied. I was a party animal. Alcohol. Some people fill their life with religion that doesn't bring life. They do good works. They you know, do sex and drugs. And even though they find some pleasure in all that stuff, it leaves them parched, thirsty. It does not bring life. I could look right down here, and you've heard the testimony. Mark and Patricia, does it bring life, or does it just bring thirst? It brings thirst, doesn't it? It just sucks the life out of you, even though temporarily you get a buzz but then you lose it. I'm just saying, 
Come to the fountain. Jesus gives the invitation to anybody who's thirsty, come and drink. You know, think about the woman at the, at the well in the village uh, near Samaria, Sychar, near, and, you, and you see that uh, this woman who is religious, immoral, you know, you know about her. You remember the story? That story was told about her in John chapter 4, that she had come to draw water from the well, and she's coming by herself, and she gets into a conversation with Jesus, and she starts off because he asked her, would you give me a drink? A starter of a conversation. And she says, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask of me, of a Samaritan who Jews hate, to give you a drink? And Jesus just says, well, if you would ask me, I would give you living water. And, and, and Jesus said, went on to say in verse 13 and 14, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, the well from the water, or the water from the well. But those who drink the water that I give to them will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life, an artesian spring. It flows into you and it satisfies. And you know, you know what she says? She says, <laughs> I think I'll have some of that. She said everything else because this woman had been married five times. Jesus reveals that to her through a word of knowledge. You've been married five times and the man you're living with isn't even your husband. She was obviously rejected by the women of the village because of her lifestyle. She was religious, but she was really deceived. And she was thirsting for something that she did not know about and did not understand. And Jesus encounters her. Jesus still encounters people like that today. You know how he does it? He encounters people like that today through you. That you are, listen to me, his agents in this world. You are his ambassadors. You are his spokesman. You are his witnesses. That's why the Holy Spirit was given to you, so you could witness. And notice that Jesus uh, uh, just simply makes that offer. Again, always inviting with his arms open. And, and, and then the question begs is, how do I get the living water? How does this woman get the living water? John 4, 37, 38 said, Jesus said again, anyone who is thirsty may come, and anyone who believes in me can come and drink. Anybody. doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter your religious background, doesn't matter about your pedigrees or your degrees, it doesn't matter how smart or how dumb you are. Amen? But the gospel is available to anyone. Anyone. And Jesus makes it abundantly clear anyone who is thirsty can come to me, anyone who believes in me can come and drink. And he will raise your life. He will transform your life. He will turn you in the right direction from the wrong direction. The Samaritan woman's response to Jesus' invitation to drink this water, she says, please, sir, give me this water. Give it to me. Give me a drink. Now, obviously, she had the water drawn from the well at Sychar, Jacob's well. And she looked around. He didn't, did he have a bottle of water with her? What did he have? Somehow she just said, give me this water, please give it to me so that I don't have to be thirsty again or come here and draw water again. And, and Jesus began to just minister her life. She ended up going into the village after she got touched 
and telling the whole village about the prophet of God, asking, could this be the Christ, the Messiah? Remember the story in Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet's invitation from God uh, goes, is anyone thirsty? Come and drink, even if you have no money. You don't have to buy this. God is offering it for free. So what do we have to do to be included? I think you just have to, from Scripture, you just have to believe. You have to receive. Repent and believe and receive Jesus as Savior. Be filled with the Holy Spirit baptism. It's available to anybody. Amen? Thirdly, what happens when I drink the living water? We, you know, we talked a little bit about, about the life transformation. But I'm telling you, the power of God flows through you. Jesus said, anyone who believes in me may come and drink, for the Scriptures declare out of his innermost being, King James, out of his, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. It'll flow right from your heart. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back as I'm finishing up here. That each day <clears throat> during the festival of shelters, where Jesus is at, where he makes this invitation, the celebration was observed in which the priests brought water Symbolic of the water supplied from the rock in Exodus 17 when Moses struck the rock. Uh, to the temple from the pool of Siloam, a place where miracles took place, and brought it in a golden pitcher. And during the procession, the people recited Isaiah 12:3, With joy you will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. And then the priests would pour the water out onto the altar as an offering to God, a libation where the people shouted and sang, Jesus is the fulfillment of all that that ceremony typified. He is the fulfillment of that, illustrating the difference between one's new birth and the experience of the overflowing fullness of the Holy Spirit of life. Those who are satisfied by Jesus will themselves become also channels, listen to me, channels of spiritual refreshment for others. I love the fact that he uses the word rivers of living water. Rivers of living water uh, is a contrast somewhat to the bubbling spring or the artesian well. Messianic uh, Jewish theologian, scholar Meyer Perlman, uh, who is in heaven today, he writes this, The Spirit of God is the foundation of living water. It is the purest, the best, because he is a veritable river of life, flooding and gushing over our souls, cleansing away the dust and the dirt of sin. The power of the Spirit does in the spiritual what water does in the material order. What does water do? Water purifies, it refreshes, it quenches thirst, and renders sterility fruitful. It purifies what is soiled and restores cleanliness. It is an apt symbol of the divine grace, which not only cleanses the soul, but adds it to divine beauty. Water is an indispensable element of physical life, and the Holy Spirit is an indispensable element of spiritual life. There's the natural and the supernatural. So what's the meaning of the expression living water? It is a living in contrast with the stagnant water that is held in cisterns or marshes, wetlands. It is water that bubbles up. It flows along always in communication with its source. Notice the source. And always, always, always bearing evidences of life. 
If this water is caught in a reservoir, if its flow is interrupted, if it is cut off from its source, it can no longer bear the name living water. Now, I'm here to tell you today that we as believers have living water. If you've trusted Christ as Savior, you've answered Jesus' invitation to come and drink. But we are overflowed with living water only to the extent that we remain in contact with the divine source, which is Christ. That's, that's why, listen, your heart gets cold and distant from God when you begin to backslide and move away from Him. And when you do that, we start manifesting the fruit of the flesh instead of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Where do you think the enemy wants you to be? Where has Christ called you to be? The fruit of this river of living water in the believer is the fruit of the Spirit. It's the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It flows into you through the living water. It is it also a fruit of this is the love of God which is shed abroad from your heart by the Holy Spirit, even to people that you do not like and people that you don't love. In the natural, but the supernatural, the living water transforms your life and allows the Holy Spirit to shed love from your heart and transform you even if it doesn't transform the person that you're loving. It manifests in the compassion of Christ that you care and about people. And, and, and it, it, it manifests in the power to live for Christ, to be a, 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 a silent witness just by how you live, speaks louder than words. And it also gives you the power to witness to the lost using words, the living water. Kind of closing question, again, are you thirsty? Do you still hunger and thirst after Christ and after the things of God? Is your heart hot or have you become lukewarm or even cold? So we're going to close in prayer and I'm going to invite you to, <clears throat> to come to the altar. You have the anointers come at this time and be ready to pray for you. And I'm here to tell you that if you need prayer for any reason, there is a river whose streams may glad the city of God. Spirit of God is here. This river is flowing through this altar this morning. And anything is possible when the river flows. Whatever it touches is never the same.